The following podcast is part of the 6040 Network. Hey there, and welcome to Everything Small Business, your shortcut to start, build, manage, and grow your small business. I'm Cherie, and in today's episode, I'm chatting with Jade Massad, founder of Alcam, as part of our mini-series called Share Your Small Business Story. In this episode, Jade shares her experience with being stood down from her full-time job and starting a side hustle all in the middle of a pandemic, the challenges she faced when returning to work post-lockdown, and how this inspired her collections and her beliefs that design, sustainability, and affordability can coexist harmoniously. So Jade, it's great to have you on the show and welcome to Everything Small Business. Should we start with a little bit about you and what is it that attracted you towards being a small business owner? Yeah, so I actually grew up in a family of business owners. So it's just been innate in me. So my mum owns an accounting firm. My brother owns a successful online cake business called Cake Mail. And my dad owns a hardware store as well. So I think just from, you know, growing up, I've always had little businesses running. So whether it was selling stress balls in school, I actually got in trouble for doing that. But anyway, and then, you know, I opened a tutoring company once I graduated from high school. I sold roses at Valentine's day. I even dipped into the Amazon FBA business a short while ago. So it's always been just a passion of mine is just to create something, grow it, and then obviously see it flourish. So I guess what gave me the push to start Alchem, the Alchem is a side hustle of mine, which I started in the pandemic back in 2020. So I was still down for my full-time job in marketing. So I do have a 10-year background in marketing and PR as well. So yeah, basically started Alchem during the midst of the pandemic when I I was stood down and it just gave me that extra push to start and, you know, just get on with it since I did have a lot of free time. So did the rest of the world. And I did notice a gap in the market for sustainable, affordable clothing. So, you know, a lot of the time I did want to shop values that meant a lot to me. So whether it was, you know, kind of brands that were doing work in the space to protect communities and support communities or also protect the planet. But a lot of the time, especially when it came to fashion and slow fashion, they were quite expensive. So, you know, you'd have to buy a blazer for $400, $500. But to me, I couldn't justify that, especially during the pandemic when, you know, our wallets weren't as full. So I started Alchem. I started Alchem from my living room. So it was all very, you know, low key. I'm lucky I still live at home. So I have all the space in the house, which I've kind of taken over at the moment, just came about from that need. So I just thought, well, why can't sustainability? and fashion and price point all coexist because I just didn't feel that any brands were meeting that at the moment. So yeah, since then, Akam was born. Great. So there's a couple of questions that really come up with that. So before actually a last guest that we had on about sustainability in her fashion business as well, I'd never actually heard the term slow fashion. Yes. So did you just want to, I guess, un- explain a little bit more about what that is? Yeah, so slow fashion is all about a less is more approach. So timeless pieces that live in your life, live in your wardrobe for seasons and seasons to come. So it's your basic pieces that you're always going to wear and also no matter what season it is. So slow fashion is quite the opposite to fast fashion, you know, where brands like, you know, your fashion novas and your sheens just jump on quick trends. Maybe a celebrity has worn something and then they literally produce it in a matter of one to two weeks and put it out to floor. So that's fast fashion. So kind of 
quick, fast to meet the trends and the demand in market. Slow is, yeah, the complete opposite. Everything is really considered. So for Alcan, we produce one collection a year. We know fashion in landfill is a huge problem across the globe. I think 75% of fashion ends up in landfill. So to really avoid that, which is, you know, a lot of the contribution to that is your fast fashion stuff where you wear it a few times and you just throw it away. You know, your slow fashion is your good quality. It would be higher price pointed. I'm really considered timeless pieces and you just get that wear season over season. So what's the actual origins then of the name Alchem? So Alchem is actually derived from alchemy or alchemist, which means transforming raw materials into something special. So for me, starting a small business from humble beginnings, you know, starting at home and then transforming that into something to me is really special. You know, something that's tangible, something that people are shopping and something that people are loving is just, yeah, really in line with that brand. So before you said that you actually had done your own sort of Amazon shipping, you know, FBA shipping. What made you want to shift from that to more control over sort of, I guess, your own shopping portal? Yeah, so Amazon FBA I touched on as another side hustle, as a kind of sub-brand to Alchem, which was Alchem Active. So I actually created a yoga mat bag. It was just something that I was looking to just get an additional stream of income. You know, Amazon FBA is good in the sense that you don't need to lift a finger. So obviously you just do the design, you get a, you know, a factory to produce it, and then Amazon actually dispatches and fulfills all your orders for you. Profitability-wise, it's only a 25% profit, So and it does take take a while to actually establish yourself and kind of have things on autopilot because you are spending a lot on advertising fees and things that help you rank on the first page, which is where I think 80% of the purchases happen. So yeah, that for me, it took a lot of time to establish the brand on the first page, but it kind of, for me, just dropped off and I wanted to shift my focus fully on outcome and growing that since I've got that direct control over everything that's created and, you know, everything, how it's packaged and how it gets to the consumer. So did you find that your, I guess, your marketing background actually helped in how you decided to design Alcam? Like, I guess, from product packaging, its visual look? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So I think the first five years of my career were PR. So obviously had a lot of contacts in the fashion industry, which I've been leveraging. And then the last four years, I've been a brand manager of the leading intimates brand in the country, which is Burley. So blessed to have been working on that brand for some time. And that's given me a lot of skills that I've obviously adapted into my brand. So things like photo shoots and developing assets in line with your brand, things like websites, you know, EDM and the importance of CRM, social media and how to, you know, successfully tap into that. You know, we know that's a whole nother beast. So yeah, all of that has, you know, kind of contributed to the success of Alchem, I guess. So that actually was one thing I did notice about your website is it felt very cohesive, not just things stuck up. Yeah. The colours were consistent, the images were consistent in sort of use and spacing, I guess, around each of the visuals. Yeah, that's awesome that you've noticed that. I've spent some time working on that and making sure that that's right because that's, you know, the first visual port of call, I guess, for your brand. So it needs to be able to reflect your brand to the T and also have your great user experience. So consumers can go in, shop and check out easily and, you know, as quick as possible. Mm -hmm. And so when we talked before about you only really bring out one collection a year. So obviously then a lot of thought must go into it, especially given the types of products that you have. 
Absolutely. So I guess as soon as I release the collection, I get straight into the next collection. So for me, sampling takes time. I want to make sure it's perfect. You know, every fabric that is chosen is really considered. You know, I test every single size on every single size woman as well, just to make sure that fits that body correctly. Even when it comes to designs, you know, it's all very considered. I kind of do, you know, a 70-30% split where 70% are your timeless basics and your 30% is your kind of seasonal sizzle. And those are your linen dresses or, you know, with things like puffy sleeves and cutouts and, you know, things that kind of create that wow factor and bring people to store. And then your basics are usually your kind of add-ons. So it's all very considered. Even, you know, some of the fabrics I like to use across various styles just to reduce wastage, you know, how can we have a zero waste policy? So any offcuts that we have, we turn them into something else that we use to sell as well. So at the moment, we've got these amazing scrunchies, which are used from our fabric offcuts. And we work with our partner, The Hunger Project. So they're committed to, you know, breaking the cycle of poverty and, you know, training those communities to be leaders in their own right and to make their own money rather than, you know, just giving them money, which is really special. And that's why they're so different to others. So yeah, 100% of profits of those grunches are donated to The Hunger Project. Yeah, I saw that on your site. I actually really like the community profiles that you've driven and, you know, obviously the future beyond 2020 and sort of the community empowerment, because it's a big thing of what we're part of as well. And I firmly believe in trade, not So I think it's more sustainability and more self-resilience and reliance, which actually leads to better end results. So I'm really glad you brought that up because I was going to ask about that as well. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah, as soon as I came across them, I think I was at a women's empowerment conference and one of the speakers from the Hunger Project was presenting and immediately I just was so drawn to them. And yeah, all of their values just align with what I personally stand for. So it just seemed like a really natural fit. That's cool. And where then do you draw your inspirations from in order to design a collection? I spend a lot of time on Instagram, like every other millennial. So a lot of the inspiration that I draw from influencers and content creators, I think they're, you know, one of the most influential, you know, kind of stakeholders in the entire, you know, market. So I draw a lot on what they're wearing and what people are loving, as well as street style from, you know, New York City, which, you know, is my favorite city in the world and what people are wearing to work. Obviously, I still do have a full-time job, so I can still go into the office and see what people are wearing and, you know, kind of adapt that into my collections. So how did you go now still running this with a full-time job? Long hours and public holidays and long nights. So yeah, a lot of people ask, well, how do you do it? And I just, I actually don't know. (laughs) It just kind of falls in place. So, you know, I'm lucky. I really love what I do. So I love my brand and I love seeing it come to life and, you know, influencing every single consumer touch point. So, you know, they say when you love something, you don't have to work a day in your life. So for me, when I do work on Alchem, I don't feel like it's work. I actually look forward to working on it and I don't full resentment towards it or I don't feel you know procrastination either I just get it done because yeah I love it and I guess that work and that career drive has always been in me since from a young age so to me it's kind of second nature yeah no that's cool so is it still taking up your living room yes yes and my (laughs) formal dining room and my back granny flat (laughs) where I do all the packing so I've kind of taken over three rooms in the house (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so how have you actually seen your business grow then over this time? And what sort of tools did you use to help get there? 
Well, it's all grown very organically. So I don't invest into any marketing. I probably, you know, since launch, I've probably only invested like $500 in Facebook ads, like not that much. So yeah, I'm very lucky that it's kind of grown organically and steady, which is great. Since launch, I have locked in an amazing wholesale partner. She owns a boutique store in Croydon and it's just a really good fit for the brand. So, you know, over time, I am kind of getting that word of mouth spread organically, obviously. And it's kind of grown at a consistent and steady rate. Did you find it challenging to get your first wholesale customer? Well, in this sense, I'm very lucky because my mum actually knows her. So she put in a good word for me, not to mention all of the money that she spent in her store, which probably helped as well. (laughs) So I'm lucky that, yeah, again, it just came through an organic connection. I guess in fashion, it's true when they say, you know, who you know, not what you know. So that obviously helps when it comes to, you know, securing wholesale distribution and even getting kind of, you know, advice from mentors and other people and, you know, who are quite successful in that space as well. Yeah. Do you think that, I guess, wholesale will be a route that you go for the future? I do want to be predominantly direct to consumer. Wholesale is good in the sense that, you know, my store, it's obviously online. So people can't actually touch and feel the product and it is a new brand. So there is still that level of trust that people just can't cross because I am a new brand. So I guess what's good about wholesale and, you know, the store that I'm stopped in, people can actually go touch and feel the product and then, you know, buy into it. I guess every time, you know, people do actually see and feel and, you know, purchase into the product, they love it and they repurchase. I'm lucky that a lot of my customers, I think it's like 80% are returning. So it's just that confidence that they get over time after experiencing the product and, you know, trying it for themselves. I'm still told to this day I'm priced too low, but I guess it's, you know, for me, I've just hit that kind of space in the market, which I wanted to tap into. And that's a price point I want to stay at for now, mm-hmm. you know, and I can afford to keep that price point more affordable because my overheads are low. So I do operate everything myself. I am a one man band. I don't have any staff, you know, and I operate everything from home. So again, I don't have rent fees or warehouse fees. So I can afford to keep it, you know, at that sweet spot. And that makes a big difference really, isn't it? Because the moment that you start adding in the overheads, that's when you really have these challenges with pricing. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, when it, like wages are your most expensive cost, right? So, I mean, I don't pay myself yet. I'm not at that stage. Everything I get goes back into the business. I just, you know, I want to grow that for now and, yeah, really make that flourish. And then kind of I guess some of those overheads will start coming a lot later when the business grows. So but for now I can kind of keep it at that sweet spot. Which is definitely like a handy thing. And I guess it's sort of more in line with what I see from your site, which is that if it is slow fashion, it's designed, it's not a consumable thing. So you don't want to mass produce it. Um, And obviously I saw how you produce it as well. And, you know, being able to, I guess, have that level of engagement with the people who work for you, they're not faceless people in some, mm-hmm. I don't want to use the word sweatshop, but you know no. what I mean? They're not faceless people in mass producing things in horrible conditions. Like you're actually yeah. aiming to make a difference and an improvement in people's lives there. Yeah, exactly. So our factory, you know, the staff there, they're extension of our team. They're not just a supplier, right? So I actually went overseas and I met all of them. I went to the factory. I obviously, you know, it was quite a long process. You'd meet so many people overseas and you just want to make sure that you find the right fit for you and, you know, your business. And I guess, you know, the relationship that we've got now, it's so strong. You know, I kind of stood by them during the pandemic as well, when a lot of them were losing businesses and losing their orders because, 
you know, a lot of their fashion clients, especially just stopped producing because they weren't selling. So I guess strong relationships with partners is key to, you know, the success of your business. Mm-hmm. And so obviously your business started in the pandemic. So do you think that that's helped and would you have made a different decision? Like if it wasn't for the pandemic, do you think you would have started the business? Well, obviously, you know, I had a lot of time. So that kind of gave me that opportunity to kickstart. But I guess I did see a shift during the pandemic for many people who were supporting small businesses and moving away from shopping, you know, your kind of your big commercial brands. Because, you know, we know those smaller guys were the ones most affected during this time. So I kind of did see that as an opportunity to start Alchem during the pandemic. I didn't want to wait. I guess we all didn't know how long this thing was going to go for. So I kind of just, you know, took that time to work on it and then launched during the pandemic. And I guess a lot of people, especially your kind of immediate network, just wanted to jump on and support you. A lot of the people, you know, I guess they saw how much time and, you know, effort and resources you were investing into the business. They wanted to support you whether they'd wear the product or not. (laughs) I'd quote that from a lot of my family members as well. So yeah, fortunate enough to have a really strong kind of immediate network that all jumped on. And then your kind of word of mouth just spread from there. And yeah, I think supporting small businesses, you know, even to this time is, I think it's just increasing. Yeah, we're seeing that too. And in fact, we are massive supporters of it because I think small business is the way of the future, really. I think people will move away from big business and high level consumption and more towards small business who can be much more personalized in how they interact and more accountable, I think. Yeah, definitely. And more nimble as well. Less staff, you've got less, you know, you're smaller, so you've got less responsibility in the sense where you've got all of these staff that you've got to look after and all of these different processes and functions. So you can actually be more nimble and adapt, you know, the next day if something were to happen. Mm, Yeah. So in terms then of the whole business, has there been any trends that you've seen or that have you think changed? Well, in terms of, you know, fashion trends, we're not one that follows fashion trends. Obviously, everything you create is slow. But as I, um, you know, I think a lot of people now are starting to lose trust in the government, right? So a lot of these brands have become or need to become change agents in their own right, where they need to step in when it comes to climate change or, you know, supporting communities and doing small things that, I think, you know, get consumers on their side. And a lot of people are now shopping their values, you know, whatever they're passionate about, whether it might be for free or 100% made from fabric offcuts and, you know, upcycled garments, or whether it might be a business that's dedicated to donating a portion of profits to a community in need or, you know, a charity partner. Yeah, more people are shopping their values. And I guess if you create a business now where you don't stand for something, you will be left behind, you know, and that's a big part of outcome. So, you know, we are on a mission to create a better world and whether it's profits donated to our partners, whether it's planting trees by our partner, One Tree Planted, or whether it's, you know, being a carbon neutral business, it's so important to head into that way. Otherwise, consumers won't shop you and they are becoming more savvy on, you know, the brands and what they're actually doing in that space they actually demand brands to really play in that space so if you're not doing that then yeah you will be left behind yeah it's a it's a great point like i don't think government can solve these problems to be brutally honest i Mm -hmm. think that it comes down to everybody's individual contribution no matter how small and i really like what you say there about shopping values it's a consumer driven dollar really isn't it yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, even the smallest thing, you know, will make a difference and consumers see that and they appreciate that. Yeah. 
And yeah. I mean, it, it is, especially when you're supporting other communities as well. So, I mean, obviously we've got our Australian ones, but a lot of overseas where a little goes so far. So, you know, tying that back into your hunger project, you know, think that that's just, it's a great opportunity to share the love, I guess, amongst everybody. Yeah, absolutely. So if your collection is going to come out once a year, how do you time them? Look, I don't have a strict timeline on when, you know, collections need to launch and, you know, your sampling process. I'm quite flexible in that sense, you know, and I do take my time. I don't like to rush sampling in the design process. It just goes against, yeah, everything I stand for. So, yeah, I'm quite nimble in that sense. That's mm. cool. So when's your most recent one's only just launched, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So it launched last week, really launched with a bang. So I'm really thrilled with how it's been performing so far. You know, a lot of people have said it's stronger than my first collection, which is obviously, you know, what we want to hear. We want that continual improvement. So yeah, it's a really beautiful collection. It's got a mix of, you know, your boxy silhouettes and your loose tailoring, which I know a lot of people, you know, still want post-pandemic. I think for me, you know, designing this collection came from that frustration of going back to work post-pandemic and still wanting to go into my, you know, wear my loungewear and my tracksuits and my activewear. But hey, obviously that's not a thing when you work at a corporate office. So, you know, and I just didn't find any brands that still had that real comfort, that chic, you know, appeal about them. So I ended up designing it. So, you know, all of my, you know, like my suits have elastane in them. So they're really comfortable and they've got a bit of a stretch. All my shirts are quite boxy and loose and, you know, they have a belt on them. So you can bring it in and it's quite flattering around the waist, but it's still loose elsewhere, which is obviously great. You know, and there's things like elasticated hidden waistbands as well. So it's all comfortable, but it's quite, you know, conservative. It's chic. It's boardroom appropriate. And you can obviously wear them from day to night. So you slap a pair of heels on and you're out at dinner. So again, versatility has been key in everything that I've created. Mm. Another question too, I meant to ask earlier was obviously fashion is such a crowded market and you've defined like quite a specific niche, but how did you know that that niche was going to work? To be honest, I didn't know that it would work, but I guess for me, being a consumer that didn't feel spoken to meant something. I found a need for when I was shopping brands, I wanted to shop my values and, you know, shop brands that were partnering with fantastic partners, you know, or doing their part to protect their carbon footprint and their environmental footprint. But I just felt a lot of their clothing was just out of my price range. I couldn't justify spending that much on apparel. So I just thought, okay, well, I feel like I've got something here. If I've got this frustration, surely everyone else does. And I guess the need for consumers shopping small businesses just kind of validated that as well. So yeah, we just with that kind of frustration and that thought process, I guess Alcom was born. So were you able to test the market then or you wouldn't be able to given, I guess, the level of concern and care that you actually put into the sampling process? Yeah, correct. So I wasn't able to test. I guess, you know, once I got the sample, I pressed go and there was your, you know, 80 to 100 units in production done. So I guess the only testing was when I was actually live and over the first 
12 months of being live, I could see what was working, what was not working. And then I adapted those learnings into my second collection. So yeah, there obviously there were some styles in the first collection that didn't sell. And one of them was, for example, your backless cami. And I guess now looking back, I probably wouldn't have designed that because if people are wearing this to work or wanting to wear my stuff to work, they won't be wearing that. And I found that my consumer was older as well. So she was a 50-year-old and she was a consumer that felt that no fashion brands were actually speaking to her. You know, when I was designing initially, I did want to target your 30-year-old. I did want to target people like me. But looking back in those that I was shopping, they're a lot older. They're wanting conservative fashion, but they're wanting fashionable pieces as well. They did want to look chic, but they wanted that kind of function where you could move and it kind of not get in your way or, you know, you can take on your day and you don't have to worry about you know, adjusting things and moving things around because they're comfortable. So I guess, yeah, that was my testing period, probably the first year and a half. It's always interesting when you go through that. Like, I mean, obviously your expectation about your age demographic was sort of, I guess, blown out of the water. And that is an interesting thing into itself, really. Yeah, exactly. You just never know. So, you you know, you design everything to target this person, but a completely different customer shops and hey, look, I'm not complaining, but you know, (laughs) it is what it is. (laughs) Well, it's, it's the opportunity really, isn't it? You know? Yeah, exactly. Did you find then you had to tailor your own marketing to actually speak to this new style of consumer or did you just keep it as it was because obviously it already spoke to them? No, I actually adjusted. So the photo shoot that I did for this second collection, I purposely included a model that was your 35-year-old just to be able to talk to that older consumer while it's still being aspirational. And then the second model was, you know, your 25, late 20s. And that was really apparent when I did release those assets that the consumers were loving them. I just received this world of, you know, feedback, positive feedback and everyone loving, you know, the models that were chosen and how real and how authentic they were and how, you know, I quote, finally a brand that is speaking to me, you know, as an older shopper. So it was translated in those assets, which is amazing. Yeah, amazing feedback, which I received. So yeah, that was a real win. Yeah, that is incredible feedback and that people gave it. Totally. Yeah, I just think women and, you know, business owners are more supportive now of each other and, you know, they want to help uplift each other. You know, we've seen and I think it's just so strong now and it's only going to get stronger. No, that's great. So what's one of the biggest lessons that you have taken away then from starting this business as opposed to all of your others? I think one of the biggest lessons that I've learned is the ability to be nimble. I think, you know, we're operating in such a challenging time, a challenging economy. You know, we've had petrol prices go up, we've had war, we've had obviously COVID and the big effects on that, you know, when it comes to shipping and cost of raw materials have gone up and, you know, shortages in staff and, you know, your whole operational chain is just kind of blown out the water. So you really need to be nimble and adapt with the times because if you don't, again, you will be left behind. So I'm fortunate enough that it is just me, although unfortunate as well. So everything falls on me. But, you know, you've got to be yeah, super nimble and adjust and, yeah, change with the times. Nice. So what's then your big, hairy, audacious goal for Alcam? 
Now, what's a small business without a big, hairy, audacious goal? I think I've got quite a lot of them. But the first one, which is a little bit more realistic, is hitting the five digits in sales per month. You know, obviously sales for me have grown consistently and steadily since launch, which is amazing. And I hope it, you know, continues to grow. So that would be my first goal. My second goal is to secure probably one to two more wholesale partners as well. I really do want to hit the iconic one way or the other. I don't want to hassle anyone on LinkedIn, but I need to find out a way or an avenue to get in there because that's for me is, you know, my go-to for everything shopping and getting everything the next day. So I think if I secure that, you know, their return policy is great. Their fast, quick, same day shipping is great. So, you know, it just gives so much trust to the consumers shopping there. So if I could tap into that, that would be an incredible growth opportunity for me. Cool. That sounds exciting. Yeah. Yes. Tiring or exciting? Oh, look, I'm tired. Just same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, there's a lot happening, but also it is still an after hours thing. So I just don't have enough hours in the day to go full speed. Everything is kind of steady, which is good. But yeah, it will get there soon. <laughs> so have you got, I guess, the line in the sand from when you would transition this from being a side hustle to being your primary? I think it just depends on how much money the company's bringing in. Obviously, I'd need to pay myself a a wage that's, you know, fairly equivalent to what I'm earning now. And it will take time. I think now the next few years will be dedicated to growing the brand and the value of the brand. And then I guess, yeah, see where it takes me from there. Do you think then that's going to lead to sort of, I guess, newer lines as opposed to collections? But like, obviously, you've got your clothing line. And before you said that you had the active that was sort of distributed in another way. Do you think that they might come back, but under the primary brand? Yeah, possibly. I'd love to look into loungewear. I mean, I know everyone's jumping on this since pandemic. You know, that's what people are wearing and that's what people are going out in as well as active wear. I'd love to look into those and see if that would align with what I've got out in market in the brand. I think there's a real opportunity and real growth in those markets. So that's something that I'd probably explore down the line for sure. Is this a business though that you'd want to keep more of a lifestyle business for you or actually something that you did want to scale to grow? Look, I'm not too sure yet. I haven't thought about that. Like I do want to scale it for sure. I do want it to be my full-time project, but I guess I do want to make sure it grows sustainably first. So yeah, everything is just needs to be really considered so we can get there sustainably. Nice. What are you loving most, I guess, about the journey that's brought you here? I guess the ability to see what I've created has come to life and I've influenced every single touch point. And then the feedback that I receive when, you know, people buy my pieces or, you know, try and feel the quality or even see the assets that I've created, you know, for the second collection. I think that's been the most rewarding aspect of this entire journey is just, yeah, seeing your baby come to life. It's finally there. It's something that I wanted to do for a long time. You know, I studied fashion in high school. You know, I always knew I wanted to head down this path. And, you know, finally to see something that's tangible is just probably, yeah, the greatest feeling in the world and people buying your stuff obviously (laughs) validates everything so (laughs) and so I guess is there anything that you'd like to leave listeners with I guess in relation to either your story or your business I would encourage everyone to definitely pursue their passion. I think money aside, if it's something you love, you won't feel like you're working and then it will flourish into something if you're consistent, you know, if you're consistently working on it, if you're consistently 
putting content out there. Obviously, you'll need to find a gap in the market like I did or a real niche that you could tap into. And then also don't be so hard on yourself. If you don't get sales for a couple of days, you know, it is what it is. You can't control the external factors, obviously. Just, yeah, be kind to yourself for sure. Lovely. I think that we shared with you our seven values, like the seven core values that we really live by. So I guess was there anything in there that I guess resonated with you? I think enjoy what you do. I know I touched on before, but I can't underline it enough. It's just one of the main key values for me, you know, which underpins everything I do with Alchem. You know, if you enjoy what you do, you won't feel like you're working. So you can actually afford to spend your weekends and all of your free time on it because it doesn't feel like work. And then it's just so much more rewarding when all of the work that you've invested into it and all of your resources flourish and people are loving what you're putting out there and, you know, people are shopping and they're supporting you and they're giving you incredible, invaluable feedback. So I guess seeing something come to life Obviously, my background is, you know, in marketing and brand management. That is what I do. And for me to be able to do that for my own brand, not other other brands, which I'm employed to do so, is so rewarding. That's cool. Where can people find you? So I'm available online. So alchem-store.com.au. I think if you sign up, you get a 10% discount off your first purchase. And then, of course, we're across Instagram and Facebook. So alchem-store. And then in terms of physical locations, we often do markets at Paddington. So this obviously allows a lot of consumers to touch and feel the product and then to try and then purchase if they love the pieces. And those generally do well for us since, you know, we don't have kind of physical storefronts at the moment. No worries. So we'll make sure all of those links are in our little show page as well. So that's all good. Awesome. (laughs) No worries. So thank you heaps for being on the show. I definitely think that there is a lot that people will be able to take away. I actually really like the fact that it's a side hustle with a vision and a purpose. So that's awesome. Thanks so much for having me. It's been wonderful. Well, that's everything small business for today. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to stay up to date with our show, please subscribe or follow in your favorite podcast app so that you never miss an episode. If you know someone who might enjoy this podcast, please share it with them or share it on your socials and tag us. Until next time, this is everything small business.